I have a picture here. I'm not sure how well you can see it on the screen. I think everybody has one of these. Hopefully, unless you live on the street in a tent or something. This is a furnace. If you've never seen the furnace in your house or apartment, you have one, I'm pretty sure. Uh, this is mine, actually, in my house. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I put this furnace in by myself. Very proud of myself for doing that. I took out the old one and put in the new one. Um, now, I'm not bragging about that, but I think there's, a, there's sort of an illustration as part of this, right? Now, some of you might say, well, why did you put in a furnace? What's wrong with the old one? Well, they get old, and eventually they're going to break, and this one, one I, old one hadn't broken yet, but I knew it would, and I thought, you know what? Why don't I replace it on my timeline instead of in the cold snap in November sometime, right? So I went ahead and did it. But it's a very interesting, uh, it's a very interesting project. Uh, by my count, a furnace can touches the house in ten different ways. Touches it through, like, obviously it's sitting there, but it's got these vents, and it's touching the, the ductwork and gas lines and electrical and low voltage and all these things, right? So it's... It, it's a problem, right? It's, a, it's sort of a, it's like a, you know, I don't know, the, the New York Times crossword puzzle or something, right? It's, some, it's a problem to be solved. And so as I tackled this, I'd never done this before. I'm not an HVAC tech. I'm not, you know, I've done some home projects, but I've never really dealt with a furnace. And so I was like, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? I was like, I, I'm confident in my abilities, but I, I've never done this. I don't know what to do. And every furnace is a little bit different. It's not so much you just pull out the old one and put in the new one. There's different things going on. And this one had a greater efficiency than the old one and different things going on. And how's it going to work? I mean, shoot, this furnace has Bluetooth. I was like, wow. <laughs> my old one, I think, is so dumb. It was, yeah, anyway. What are we going to do? How are we going to tackle this project? Well, I think like most of us, we said, well, Go get the instruction manual, dummy, right? So I went and got the instruction manual. Before it even had showed up, I picked the one I wanted, and, but then I found it online, and while it was shipping to me, I was pouring over that instruction manual and reading it. How does this work? How does it connect? How do all those pipes go together? How do the wires go together? How do I make sure I get the gas connected correctly so it doesn't blow up the house, right? That kind of thing. I was looking at that. And doesn't life kind of feel like that sometimes? feels a little bit like, hey, there's a, pro there's a project, there's this thing, something to be wrestled with, a job to be tackled. That's kind of how it is. That's the, the comparison I made, but I think life is way more complicated, isn't it? It's way more nuanced. Uh, it's a lot more unpredictable. It doesn't just like, you know, our life just doesn't touch things in, in 10 ways. It's like hundreds of things. We've got hundreds of relationships and jobs and work and uncertainty and hard things and sorrow and uh, you, all these things go on. Life is very nuanced. Life is very unpredictable. There's joy. There's pain. There's laughter. It's a lot of uncertainty. I don't know about you, but I wake up every morning and I go, what does this day have in store for me? Do you do that? I do that. Wow. I, I never know what's going to be. I might have my calendar and have everything all planned out and my to-do list, and this is how I think the day is going to go, and it rarely goes that way. That's how life is. So in some ways, life is way more, it's like a project, but it's way more complicated even than installing a furnace. And so when you have this kind of uncertainty in life, well, you probably go, okay, well, just like with the furnace, what do I need to do? Well, I want to go get the instruction manual for life. I want to know what to do. Well, the good news is there is kind of an instruction manual. That's the Bible. God hasn't just left us here. 
He said, here, here is an instruction manual for you. But because life is way more sophisticated and way more complicated and way more unpredictable than the furnace project or the most complicated house project that like Tip and Julie have going on, than we could think of. Life is way more complicated than that. It's not right for us to look at the Bible like a technical manual. Right? We can't look at it and say, okay, well, how do I hook the gas line up to the, to the gas valve? And how do I hook the low voltage up to the thermostat? It doesn't work that way. The Bible isn't a technical manual. A technical manual goes, hey, we're going to cover all the bases. We're going to get everything covered so that you know every little detail and everything. And so I had that furnace and I got that manual. And, you know, my furnace, there's, you know, you can install a furnace in different ways. Pipes can come out the left side or the right side. Or if you've got a crawl space, like I know some people do, it's got to go on its side or in the attic. The, technical, the instruction manual covers all that. The Bible isn't quite like that. Because life isn't really like that. Life is a lot more than just do this and don't do that. It's complicated. It's nuanced. Life requires wisdom. We talked about wisdom a few weeks ago. We defined wisdom as the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. It's the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. In life, we need to know not, not... Not so much what, but more of a how. Not what to do, but how. How do I face the uncertainty? How do I face the sorrow? How do I face the pain? How do I face the joy? How do I face the relationships, the uncertainty of waking up every morning and saying, what is this day going to hold for me? And so in that sense, the Bible is, is a manual, but it's not a technical manual. We ought to look at it as a wisdom manual. It's a wisdom manual to help us in that. Now when we approach the Bible and we look at the Bible in all 66 books and there's all this good and all this wisdom that flows through all of it and we should read all of it. But right at the heart of it is one book that's all about wisdom. It's just like you want to get to the heart of the wisdom of the Bible. It's right there in the book of Proverbs. We know the Bible is God-breathed and it's all wise, but the book of Proverbs is right there, right in the middle. It's the meat of wisdom. And so when you're looking at life and you're going, man, things are really hard or things are challenging or things are good or I don't know how to face each day, a great place to go is to the book of Proverbs because you're just getting right to the heart of it, right there in the heart of it. So this summer, we thought, hey, on Sundays, let's talk about Proverbs. Because it's good for all of us. And we're going to talk some about that this morning as we get into this. This is a very important piece. Proverbs is an important piece of God's wisdom manual for our life. So to start today, we're just going to go right to the beginning of it. Chapter 1 and the first seven verses. And now each week we'll go through different things and we'll be talking about different aspects of Proverbs. Probably going to talk some about money and we're going to talk some about suffering. And we're going to talk some about looking down the road and so on and so forth. There's going to be a bunch of different ones. We're going to go all through the summer and have all different things. It's going to be great. But today, let's start right at the beginning. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. You're welcome to follow along in your Bibles, on your phone if you've got it. I've got it here on the screen. And I'll read it. So it starts off, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. 
Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So I thought, rather than we just dive into some passage in Proverbs and talk about what it means, I thought we would start the series off with a little bit of background. And so today, I want to ask and answer five background questions about Proverbs. So that as we approach the book of Proverbs, this summer we're going to be coming at it from the right heart and the right perspective of understanding what it is. That's the goal, at least. Alright, first question is this, what is a proverb? Right? The first step in critical thinking is always what? Define your terms. Right? You've got to define the terms so we know what we're talking about. So if we went out, you know, and I was like one of those, you know, those street reporters like they have in the late night shows or whatever, go out and ask questions to people. I said, what is a proverb? We'd probably get some really interesting answers. Right? We get a lot of different things. People would be like, oh, it's like a, a story. Or somebody else might say, oh, it's a, like an ancient saying. Or you might even get into the, like, the old Chinese proverbs that say whatever, and it's some goofy thing that wasn't really a Chinese proverb that just somebody thought was sort of like a pun. Right? People would get all those kind of different answers. But if we look to the dictionary, which is always a good place to look to define a term, a proverb is defined as a truth. Truth is obscurely expressed, or maxims. And I think that's a pretty good definition, and it describes fairly well what's going on in the book of Proverbs in the Bible. But since we're in the context of the Bible, let's look to the text for understanding of what this is. So if we go back to verses 5 and 6 there in chapter 1, and we go to, sometimes I like to go to the Amplified Version. I don't know if you've ever read the Amplified Version. Uh, if you have a phone, you use the Bible app, you can find it in there, and you can pull it up, and it just sort of, it, it adds in a lot of synonyms to add, you know, sort of color or background to what those words really mean in the original language. So here those verses are in the Amplified Version. It says, the person of understanding will acquire wise counsel and the skill to steer his course wisely and lead others to the truth, to understand a proverb and a figure of speech or an enigma with its interpretation, and the words of the wise and their riddles that require reflection. I like that. I like how it sort of illuminates what's going on there. And so I think we can summarize Proverbs in three ways. One, we can look at that verse and we can say, oh, okay, it's, instend- it's intended to steer the course of our life. I want to plot a course. This is here to help me plot that course, how to know what to do, how to have that wisdom. It's also, oh, figures of speech or enigmas. Well, those are sort of big words, and you go, wow, maybe that's a little more confusing than I wanted it to be. And you go, why can't it just be straightforward? <laughs> why can't it just be an instruction manual? I get it. I feel that way too. But again, let's remember, life is not straightforward. If it was, it would be very easy, but it's not. That's not how God has made it. I think another reason we can look at the Proverbs and say, why is it not straightforward? Is this because that's how God designed it, and we can look even to the words of Jesus. And Jesus himself did not speak always necessarily in the most straightforward thing. He spoke in parables, right? He spoke in parables. And he was asked, why do you speak in parables? And here's the passage in Matthew chapter 13. I've got it from the message, uh, the message version here. I'll read it for you. The disciples came up and asked him, why do you tell stories? Why do you tell parables, Jesus? He replied, you've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. 
Not everybody has this gift or this insight. It hasn't been given to them. Whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there is no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. That's why I, Jesus, tell stories to create readiness, to nudge the people towards receptive insight. In their present state, they can stare till doomsday and not see it. Listen till they're blue in the face and not get it. There's a lot to this. There's a lot in that passage, and I won't cover it this morning, but what we see is that Jesus is reinforcing that principle that there is good for us when truths are expressed obscurely. There's good for us when truths are expressed in a way that's a little bit obscure that makes us engage our mind and we start to think about it. So let's remember that. Second question we want to ask today is, who wrote these Proverbs? It's always good to know, where did these come from? Did just some people write these down? Was it the guy on the corner? Who was it that wrote this down? Now, fortunately, right there in verse 1, King Solomon says, the Proverbs of King Solomon. Now, if you get later in the book, there's 29 chapters written by King Solomon. The 30th chapter was written by a guy named Agur. Agur? Agur? I don't know. He's just a guy. The 31st chapter was written by King Lemuel. But we'll focus mostly on Solomon's this summer. And so we say, okay, so King Solomon. Why did King Solomon get to write Proverbs? Why do we need to listen to him? What has he got going on? Why couldn't I just write a book of Proverbs? Right? Why? Well, the reason is because he had something very special happen to him. And so I'm going to read that story to you here. It's from the book of 1 Kings. Uh, It's in chapter 3. Right? So at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said... Ask what I shall give you. That'd be awesome. (laughs) Whoa. So Solomon said, You've shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart towards you, and you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. A great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern your, govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. So that's why Solomon is important, and that's why we should listen to his wisdom, because he had a special encounter with God, and God chose to impart to him supernatural wisdom. He chose to impart it to him in part because he had something, God had something to pass on to us. Have you ever had something so special? You felt like, wow, I just have this understanding of this thing. I, I really get what's going on. I really 
I feel like I have a grip and it's on this thing and it's really walked out well in my life. You go, I just want to share it with people. I want to share it with people. And a lot of times these days people will write books, right? It's very easy to write books now. But that's what I think what Solomon was doing. He had the special wisdom that God had given him. He had this special insight and he wanted to pass it on. And so he wrote this book as a way to pass it on. This was his opportunity to pass it on. So that's who wrote Proverbs. What are they for? What, is, what are the Proverbs for? Well, look at verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction. Pretty straightforward. Why do we have these? To know wisdom and instruction. Now, I think we live in an interesting time. I, I probably feel like I say that every week. But I think it's really true. We live in this interesting time in an interesting place. right? Our country was really founded in a time where there was a lot of wisdom and a lot of understanding amongst the people. And I have this picture here of the Federalist Papers. Hopefully most of you have heard of the Federalist Papers. Maybe you haven't. I'm not sure if they teach that in schools anymore, but they, they do. So the Federalist Papers were, as it says there, a collection of essays. Those are S's, not F's, right? A collection of essays written in favor of the Constitution. So it was this collection of essays written by a few different people, and they were published in the papers, and the idea was we want to educate and draw people and convince people that, hey, we're going to be this new nation, and we're going to have this Constitution, and this is how we're going to be governed, and we want people to understand why we're doing this. Now, my other question is, how many of you have ever read any of the Federalist Papers? Anyone, a few of you? Okay, they're very difficult for us to read. I don't know. I, I've gone through an exercise once in a group of people and we sat there and looked at just one passage in just one of the papers and we worked for about an hour to come up with what we thought it meant and at the end we were like, I think we know what it means but we think there's even more there. And most of us today were just like, wow, I'm not even sure I understand this. We go, whoa, those people who read this must have been really wise. They must have had a lot of understanding. But then you have to step back and remember, wait a second, most of the people in the United States who these papers were written for were just farmers who stopped going to have any kind of education beyond the age of about 13 or 14 because they had to go work the land. But these papers were written for them so they would understand. So there was some point along the line where our country was founded and there was a lot more wisdom and understanding generally and our education system today is not really geared towards that. It's not really geared towards making us wiser. It's really aimed at having us just answer questions on tests. Well, there's good in that, I'm sure. They want us to become good workers at the end and I understand that that's where it is. But this is just one example of how we live in a culture where wisdom is not really part of what's going on around us. We're not really swimming in a culture of high wisdom and all you got to do is look at social media and look at what people are posting there and you go, man, there's not a lot of wisdom out there. So that's where we're at. And so I think you could probably see why as believers, as people who say, yes, I want to follow God. We gotta really cling. We gotta cling to this. We gotta cling to God's wisdom probably now more than ever. So in addition to being wisdom and instruction, what else are the Proverbs? Well, it says there, the point is to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, in equity. So this is really all about how those who want to be godly, how they should act and think. Well, that basically covers everything that goes on in my day, right? Acting and thinking. That's kind of everything there is there, right? And I love that it says justice and equity. Those are like the biggest buzzwords in our culture right now. And you go, you want justice and equity? Look here. Look here. And the Amplified, if we go back to it, it, it illuminates it further. It says righteousness, justice, and integrity. 
man, we live in a culture without a lot of integrity, don't we? But we want it. We want there. We want there to be integrity. So this book is here to help us know how to act and think as we follow God. And I'd ask you this, would you rather live and act and think in the way God intended and wants you to, or the way the world wants you to? If you want to be godly, this is where we want to land. We want to get right to the meat of it. So who is this book for? That's our fourth question today. The opening verses actually tell us, he says, here, here's the Proverbs, and here's who I'm writing it for. And it's really four groups of people who should pay attention to the Proverbs, right? So hopefully you fit into one of these groups. If not, I guess you don't have to pay attention, right? The first one is the inexperienced, right? The simple, as it says in the, in the ESV. The simple. To give prudence to the simple. Who are the simple? Well, I like to think about this. I have this, I've sort of come up with this diagram in my mind, I'm not sure this is necessarily like straight out of scripture, but this is observational of what I've seen in life, right? And when I see life, I think about all the things there is to know is like a spectrum, right? It's this like line. And like each thing is like all the things you know, there's a depth. I like the depth of knowledge, like depth of knowledge, right? And so everybody, because we're just finite people and we have our own experiences and our own minds and our own gifts, everybody kind of has a cone. It's like a cone of knowledge and you've got some things and maybe this is a little too simplistic, maybe it's several cones, but you kind of have a cone of knowledge. You're like, some things I know a lot of, some things I know less about, and some things I don't know at all. Right? That probably describes all of us. Now, some of you, I know, are maybe more like this, right? Where you have a much deeper cone of knowledge. Like, maybe you're an, an engineer, right? And you know some really deep math, but you don't know how to tie your shoes. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I've known people like this, right? I go, wow, they're really smart at things, and they just have no clue about some other things. And that's okay. That's just how God has made us, and we have different gifts and stuff. And then you've got, like, the Jeopardy guys, right? Who have this really broad base of knowledge but it's not really very deep right? like if you try to talk to him about the complex math of, of engineering or other things and they'd be like well, I can kind of talk to you that it is a thing but I couldn't do any of that right so they kind of have that and, and I don't know maybe this isn't the perfect diagram but this helps me think about the world and you go okay so what about this how's this tie back to Proverbs well look at that you got some smart people up there but there's a whole lot of white space there's a whole lot of things we're all inexperienced in. I don't care how smart you are, or if you're the, the Ken Jennings or whoever the new guy is on Jeopardy who knows all this stuff. There's a lot of stuff you don't know and you need help with and you're inexperienced. Even the most intelligent, gifted, and learned people are inexperienced in certain aspects of life. So they need help. Inexperienced people need God's wisdom. That's what it tells us. The second group is the youth. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. The youth. Okay, so how many here, I want to show hands, how many of, here, of you in here would consider yourselves, raise your hand if you consider yourself young? Okay, the kids are, yeah, you guys are, the teens, you guys, that's good. You guys, yes! Right, okay, that's good. Yeah, Julie's, yeah, Julie's young, yeah, that's good. All right, now, another question. How many of you would consider me young? My wife does, yeah. Okay, they do. So people who are older than me, probably, right? All these guys, right? Yeah, right? At some point, my point is that youth is relative. Youth really is relative. Except for people like, I love it over there at Tim and Julie's house yesterday. Some of you probably know Edith, Tim's mom. She's 103. And there she was, 
tearing down walls. No, I'm kidding. She wasn't tearing down walls. <laughs> she could have been. She would have been if she could have been. She would have been out there swinging that sledgehammer and pushing me out of the way, right? So maybe she's not young. Maybe we can grant that 103. There's probably, but there's probably still people older than her, right? So who's young? Youth is relative. Age leads to wisdom by experience, but at some point there's still more experience to have. So at some point we're all young. Probably every single one of us in this room is young compared to Edith. So the youth, the youth need wisdom. We all need wisdom because at some point we're younger. Right? Third group it talks about is the wise. Let the wise hear an increase in learning. Isn't this one funny? Who needs wisdom? The wise. What? Right? It's like if I said, who, who needs money? The wealthy. You'd be like, that doesn't make any sense. No, they're the last people who need the money. Let's give it to somebody else. But that's not really the economy. It's not the same as money. Because we have to remember that God is infinite. And there's a lot of white space out there. And God has all of the wisdom. And his wisdom is infinite. So wisdom is never like money. Because you could never have enough. I think you can have enough money, but you can't have enough wisdom. So the wise, the wise need it. And check this out. It's wise for the wise to recognize they need wisdom. It's wise for the wise to recognize that they need wisdom. Get your brain around that one. The fourth group is those who need direction. Those who need direction. Verse 5, if we look at verse 5 and we go back to that amplified version, it says, The person of understanding will acquire wise counsel and the skill to steer his course wisely and lead others to the truth. To steer his course wisely and lead others to the truth. So let me ask you this. Do you have a job? Do you have a job? Do you have a family? Do you have any responsibility whatsoever? You do. I think probably even most of the kids here probably have chores and other things they've got to do at home. They have responsibility. And so the answer, do you have responsibility? Yes, you do. And because you have responsibility, you need direction. Every single one of us who has responsibility, which is every single one of us, needs direction because you have things you have to do and you have people who are looking to you. Every single one of us has people who are looking to us. And so we need direction. This verse tells us, those of us who need direction are in need of wisdom. So in conclusion, we look at that and basically say, well, all of us, we're all probably included in all, all of these, except maybe Edith doesn't have to say the youth anymore, but all the rest of us are in all of these categories. It's for all of us. We all need to pay attention. So you should pay attention. So we're going through it this summer. Let's pay attention to Proverbs. So let's get to the fifth and final question this morning. How? How should we approach these Proverbs? How should we approach them? We go back to verse 7. This is how we should approach them. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the starting point for how we should approach Proverbs, the whole Bible really, But when we look at this book, the starting point is the reverent fear of God. Well, what is fear? It can be a challenging question, right? You could wait. Am I sure what I know what fear means? Let me give a quick overview of how I understand it. Something that's helpful to me to think about it is that the Bible, I think, really talks about two kinds of fear. If you go back to Martin Luther, Martin Luther 
sort of struggled with this as well, and he came up with these two concepts, and I think are very clear. One is called servile, and the other is filial. I know those are sort of big words, but bear with me, and I'll just talk about them a second. So servile is really when you are afraid of a clear and present danger. Servile fear, it's coming at me, right? And so when this comes into relationships, a way of thinking about this is if you were like a slave who had a very malicious master and that master was just going to reach out and strike you or harm you or punish you for no reason with no warning at any time. That's the kind of fear servile fear is. Now the other kind, filial fear, is really, it, it comes from the Latin word for family, And it's this idea of family and relationship. And it really means a deep respect because of one's relationship with another. One's dependency upon another. And so you think about it like a father and a son. And they have this loving relationship. And the son is going, wow, my dad, he provides for me. And he cares for me. And he loves me. And I'm afraid of offending him. I'm afraid of harming him. I'm afraid of doing something to break this wonderful relationship that we have. And that's the fear, obviously, it's talking about. This filial love. This filial fear. That's what it's talking about in Proverbs. This is a description of a loving God who provides for us. And our response is respect and admiration for the security he provides. So, if we look at the world around us, do we see this kind of reverent fear of God? Not very much. Hopefully in our circle, we want to see it there, right? So generally not, we're not going to see it in the world around us. And if we look at the world around us, do we see an acceptance or a rejection of God's wisdom? Well, we're generally going to see a rejection, right? That's what we're going to see. So what does this verse say about rejecting God's wisdom? Uh, it says you're a fool. It says you're a fool. It makes you a fool to reject God's wisdom. And if we look at the Amplified Bible again, it says you're an arrogant fool. An arrogant fool? Wow. This week I had the, the privilege of taking my older kids to a Rockies game. I love going to Rockies games. It's a lot of fun. But we were sitting there and there was some guy and by about the sixth inning he had clearly ingested enough uh, substances to change his behavior from probably what he was when he showed up at the game. And he started yelling at the opposing team's player who was out in the field in front of us. And it was just nonstop. It was the same thing, and it was ridiculous. And my kids just, like, kept looking at him and were, like, kind of, like, snickering and, like, what's with that guy? And I just looked at him, and I said, guys, he, he kind of looks like a fool, doesn't he? And they were like, yeah. I was like, well, why does he look like a fool? Like, well, because he's, like, yelling and doing stuff you shouldn't do. I was like, that's right. He's doing that. It makes you a fool. That's what rejecting wisdom does. It makes you into a fool. That guy had like given up his inhibitions and he was just yelling and he looked like a fool. He wasn't being wise. He wasn't being wise. And so we're going to learn this summer as we go through this that living in a way that we reject God's wisdom is foolish. It makes us look like that. And it does that for a few reasons. First, we have to recognize that God's wisdom God's wisdom brings skill and godliness. Rejecting God's wisdom makes us foolish. When we reject it, it makes us not skillful. It leads to a dullness in our choices. We won't be sharp and we won't be godly. The second thing is that with, it, with wisdom comes self-discipline. 
part of the deal is not just hearing something and walking away. It's hearing it and putting it into practice. And putting wisdom into practice means we have to draw boundaries around our life and make choices within that. So when we reject wisdom, we're really just rejecting self-control. And I think about the guy at the game and I go, wow, that guy was out of control. He had no self-control. And every single one of us can think about our lives and we think about maybe our coworkers or maybe family members or maybe neighbors or maybe our kids. I don't know. And we go, wow. That person has a real problem with self-control. They're out of control. And maybe they, part of it is that they've rejected God's wisdom. The third thing is there's that instruction is intertwined with wisdom. Instruction is intertwined with wisdom. You see that there? Godly wisdom and instruction and self-discipline. It's all tied in. And so that brings us right back together with where we started with instruction. We need instruction. Would you do a complicated project without an instruction manual? Would you go replace the furnace in your house by yourself without the instruction manual? It probably wouldn't be a good idea. And so when we reject wisdom, when we reject the wisdom God has provided us in life, it's the same as trying to do something without the instruction manual. God's instruction manual is for us. It's the Bible, and the heart of it is in Proverbs. So I hope that gives you a little bit of background. Uh, and so as we get into this series this summer, I'm just trusting that there's going to be good for all of us. I'm, I'm looking forward to studying it with you. We'll pray and close for the day. Thank you, Lord, for your wisdom. God, I thank you that I don't have to know all the white area that you have it there. You've given it, and you've given us your word. Yeah, the Bible says that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and instruction. God, we trust that that's true, and we trust that right there at the heart of it is this book of Proverbs that you've provided to Solomon through just your grace. God, help us wherever we're at in our life. God, I recognize... Every single one of us probably falls into all of those categories of inexperience and youth. And even if we are wise, we know we need more wisdom. And we need instruction of how to make it through the day, how to make it through the week, how the things that we have to do, whether we're parenting or working or making decisions about marriage or life or jobs or taking care of others or all kinds of things. Man, it it burdens me just thinking about even my own life, much less everyone else's life. And so thank you, Lord, for leaving us here with your wisdom manual. Help us to grasp it in our lives, Lord. Maybe you'd even impress upon our hearts to spend part of each morning looking at the book of Proverbs and saying, Lord, what would you have for me to put into practice? What wisdom would you have to share with me this morning, each day as we read it? Lord, help us in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.